It's good to be back. It's been four weeks since I've uh, been to church here at Reality Ventura. I had a, a couple week appointment with the coronavirus and I'm happy to report that I didn't die. I'm feeling much better. So <laughs> praise God. Well, um, we are five weeks. This is week five into uh, the, f- the final section. We've been studying the kingdom of God in three sections. Uh, it was Kingdom Kids is what we started off with. Uh, that was the first half of the book of Ephesians. And then we looked at Kingdom Family, which is our next sec- segment, which how God makes us, not just adopts us as children, but adopts us into his family. And we are the family of God in Christ. And now we are in the third installment of this season and we're studying through the book of Acts and we're examining the explosive move of God in the early church. And kind of the backdrop to this study are these three questions. What would Ventura County look like if Jesus were king? What would the church look like? Or what should the church look like since Jesus is the king? And then the third question that's sort of informing our study is what should our lives look like as Christians with Jesus being our king? Last Sunday, we considered how the kingdom of God affects our generosity. Today's sermon asks and examines our talents, our passions, our giftings. The title of the sermon is Kingdom Come gifting. And we're going to take a look at the gifts and the passions that God has given each of us to advance his kingdom right here in Ventura County and in the nations. And our text is Acts chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter six. We're going to read the first seven verses and I'll be reading from the New International Version. Acts six, verse one says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, The Hellenists murmured against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The 12 summoned the body of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. We'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole multitude And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands upon them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you first and foremost for your word and your presence. Thank you, God, that you have displayed your love toward us in Christ. And furthermore, God, we praise you and thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We ask you now for the power of your spirit to move in our hearts, in our lives, and in your church. God, help us be a people who are rooted in the word and who grow into your plan and your purposes for each of us and for us as a church to grow into your plan and your purposes for us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was five years old, I had appendicitis. 
Um, you guys are probably all aware of what appendicitis is, but it's interesting how little we actually know about the appendix. The appendix is this mysterious part of our body. It's this little tube that just kind of dangles from your large intestine. And it's mysterious because some doctors think that there's just no real good reason for it being there. And other doctors think that it stores good bacteria that helps your body reset after you've been sick. Well, regardless of what it does, mine had become infected and toxic. And my pediatrician had misdiagnosed me with uh, a stomach virus. And so I lay in pain and, and eventually started losing consciousness in my pain as a child. And this affection in my body worsened to the point where my appendix ruptured, releasing all of that infection and all of those toxins into my entire abdominal cavity. And so rather than having a routine appendectomy, I had an emergency surgery, which was massive, several hours long. And they were trying to extract as much of this toxin, as much of this, this infection as possible. It felt like I was hospitalized forever. I had three big tubes on either side of my abdomen coming out of my body. I remember when I was finally well enough to be pushed around in a wheelchair and so thankful they would bring me outside. I could feel the sun. We're on our way back into the, um, back into the hospital to go back to my bed. And the, a, a surgeon, it turned out to be one of the attending surgeons when I had my surgery, started talking to my mom and through tears told her I didn't expect him to survive. See, this one small, mysterious, seemingly insignificant part of my body stopped functioning in a healthy way. And it shut my entire body down. I nearly died when that weird, mysterious little thing inside of me ruptured. This wasn't a strong part of the body. It's not an obvious piece of the body. It wasn't like my nose or an arm. It wasn't even really that well-known of a part. Like we've all heard of it, but, but we don't know that much. We don't think that much about the appendix. But nevertheless, that small part of my body threatened to take my entire life when it failed to function. Turns out that having a healthy, functioning, whatever it does, appendix is necessary to having a healthy body. Now, our passage today exposes the importance of every part of the body of Christ. In our passage, we see people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different giftings, different passions, and we see these vastly different people and these vastly different gifts working together in unity, and we see the church growing. It's amazing. I mean, how could that be? Such diverse, different people with different passions, and there being unity in the church. Well, so far in the book of Acts, it's been a very fascinating, a very kind of quick-paced read, hasn't it? The church is growing so fast. I mean, imagine this kind of explosive growth. In chapter two, in, just in one chapter in Acts, in chapter two, it says that 3,000 people are saved. And then immediately after that, it said the Lord added even more to that number. And then immediately in chapter four, they're like 5,000 people were saved. And then in chapter five, it says multitudes more. Like, like they had numbers in every other chapter, but by the time they got to chapter five, they're just like, it was just multitudes. The idea is the church was just exploding in growth. And this insane supernatural growth, this, this move of God, is a fulfillment of a promise that Jesus had made. If you'll remember in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, when Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, this thing that is being started in me is going to explode to cover the whole globe. And this movement was amazing, full of supernatural experiences, just miracles happening. But we see in our text today that there were also issues, there were problems that would arise. And these problems are not unlike the issues that we face today. There were disagreements that arose in the church. There were some bad people in the church. There were divisions. There was this ethnic tension that is revealed in our text. And so along with tremendous growth comes tremendous obstacles to the mission. That's what we see today. It begins and ends, our text begins and ends with these two references to growth, right? Our text is verse 1 through verse 7. Well, verse 1 literally says the disciples were increasing in number. And verse 7, the end of our text, says that the word of God increased and the number of disciples uh, increased or it multiplied greatly. But see, sandwiched between verse 1 and verse 7 is some real church drama, Between these two statements about growth is an account of a serious challenge that the early church faced, a challenge that might have taken the wind out of the church's sails. This was serious, so serious that Luke hits the pause button in this incredible account of the growth of the early church in order to tell this story about this incident and show how the people of God were led by the Lord, to overcome the obstacle. So there's two parts to the obstacle, just to kind of set the stage here. There's two parts to this challenge that the church church is facing. First of all, there was a cultural and ethnic tension that was starting to well up. Now, this is the church in Jerusalem. Okay, it's a very diverse church. It says at the end of verse 1, Acts 6, verse 1, it says, the Hellenists murmured against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So there's conflict between these two ethnicities in the church, the Greek-speaking Jews, which were the Hellenists, and the Hebrew or uh, Aramaic-speaking Jews, which are just simply referred to as the Hebrews. And this conflict is happening over a failure of the church to take care of the needs of one ethnic group of widows. The Hellenist widows were being neglected, or there was the perception at least that they were being neglected. Now, if you remember back in Acts chapter 4, there had been a system that was developed to take care of the poor in the church. Last week, Dom actually taught on this passage, and he highlighted the radical generosity of the church. That's how the church met the needs of these people, was through the radical generosity of the church. In uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says that there were no needy people in the church, which is amazing. And it says there was no needy people in the church because from time to time, as there was need, people would just sell some property and they would just put it before the church leaders and say, hey, help out people who are in need. It sounds like an amazing system, right? It sounds like a simple system. Well, in our text today, in in chapter six, we see that this system was not working for one minority group in the church, the Hellenists. Now, this could tarnish the glory of Jesus in the eyes of culture. The early church might experience a serious setback, right? There there might even be a church split along ethnic lines. So cultural and ethnic tension in the church is the first part of the situation. But the second part of this challenge that the church is facing is that this issue that they're having might be dealt with by the wrong people. It's a serious problem, but if the wrong people were to, to deal with it, it could become even worse. And we see that revealed in verse two. It says, The 12 summoned the the, the body of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God in order to serve tables. 
Now, see, the apostles here, they knew that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be the, the, um, the ones to step in and kind of revamp this serving ministry. They, they knew that wasn't their calling, but it seems like they felt this pressure uh, to be, have a more hands-on management style in the church. Like they, they felt the pressure like, maybe we should just solve this issue. It might be easier if we just did it, right? See, the men who were supposed to study and teach scripture were, were feeling pressure to leave their calling and to serve these widows. And this pressure to leave their calling was a major threat to the entire church movement. And so the church leaders, they're feeling this pressure, but listen, this is important for us to see. The pressure that they were feeling is the pressure to do a good thing, right? I mean, it's a very good thing for the apostles to want to help the widows, isn't it? Who doesn't want to feed the poor widows? All right, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for them to take a stand. And let's, let's fix this. If there's ethnic inequality, let's fix it. If there's a perception of inequality or a language barrier or some other thing that's, that's making it seem like people aren't being treated equally, let's get in there and fix this thing and just kill all of that. See, the leaders are being tempted to do something good in the church, not something bad. But see, good things handled by the wrong people can yield bad results. This is so often the case in life, isn't it? It's the good things that tend to distract us as much as the bad things in life. It's not always just bad things that can pull us away from doing the right things. And so the apostles deal with this challenge by leaning into other gifted people in the church, bringing other people into the situation. And they nominate seven men. Seven, and we know that they're Hellenistic men. They're, they're Greek-speaking men. We know that because they have Greek names. All seven of them do. And so these seven men, it says they're full of the Spirit. They're full of wisdom, um, that they have a good reputation in the church. And so they're commissioned by the laying on of hands by the elders of the church to serve and exercise their giftings. Notice that these giftings that were needed are very different than the giftings that the apostles had. It was necessary that this issue be dealt with, and it was necessary that this issue be dealt with by people other than the leaders of the church, the existing leaders of the church. And so there are three things from this story to see about God's gifts for God's people in the church. There's three things, and these are going to be kind of our three main points. The first is that the gifts are essential. Every gift is essential. The second is that the gifts are diverse. And the third is that the gifts are connected. So let's look at that first one. The gifts are essential. See, in our text today, both of these callings, the calling to lead by studying the word and preaching and prayer, that kind of, uh, that kind of church leadership was vital and necessary. And the other gift set, the other calling to serve the widows was necessary. Both callings must be fulfilled and they need to be fulfilled by gifted people. And both are vital to the health and the future of the church. Neglecting either one of these callings could undermine the reputation of the church and could have vastly changed the direction of the rest of the book of Acts, right? It could have affected the church growth. Both giftings were essential. And so the solution to lean into the diversity of giftings and callings is a big deal because it allows for two things to happen. The apostles are, first of all, able to continue in their primary calling to study and teach and pray. And second of all, others are able to serve and lead and operate in their gifting as well. It's a win-win for the church. The end result is this new form of teamwork in the body of Christ. Gifted people stepping up and taking responsibility. 
practical needs were met, and the ministry of the word and prayer were able to continue. The church was starting to recognize and commission different necessary gifts. And this is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, in, in many different places in his letters, recognizes the church and describes the church as a body. He says that we are the body of Christ. We are each one of us a member, a part of a body. And so together we function as a body functions. You, Christian, are a part of a body. Now, a human body is an amazing thing. Uh, not to sound creepy, but your body is amazing, right? Take that the right way. See, we tend to become focused on the defects of our body or the imperfections of our bodies. But listen, it's amazing to remember how incredible these bodies really are. A human body is a picture of both tremendous unity and tremendous diversity. If we want to know what the church is supposed to look like, consider the unity and diversity with our own bodies. That's what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do. Because each of us is made of hundreds of parts and bits and pieces and different materials. And all of these parts and pieces form systems. And all of these systems fulfill a necessary task for the entire body. In order for a body to be healthy, all of these systems need to work. And in order for a system to work, all of the parts of a system need to be healthy and present. The health and healthy participation of every single piece and part of a body is vital to the overall health of the body. Remember how my appendix became unhealthy and shut me down and nearly killed me. My appendix, that small little thing, it crippled, my, it crippled me when it stopped functioning. In the same way, your spiritual health, Christian, each one of us, everyone sitting out here today, your spiritual health, your spiritual gifting, your passions, your personality, you are necessary here in the body of Christ. You are a vital part of this body. You may not realize this, but you are essential to the health of the church. And not only are, are all giftings that God gives us essential, but secondly, and this is our second point, the gifts are diverse. Why wildly diverse, in fact. My appendix story highlights the clear necessity for all of the parts of the body. As diverse as they are, all body parts must be healthy and must function together. And this is the picture that Scripture paints of the body of Christ. It's amazing in its complexity. It's intricate. It's so intricate that we, might, we may sometimes struggle to see its beauty. But like our physical bodies... We can become so familiar with the defects that, that we see in the church. Some of you might have experienced some bad situations or had some uh, just bad things happen to you or said to you in the past in the church. And, and you may tend to view the body of Christ through that lens. Just the same way as when you like look at your own body, all you see sometimes are the defects in your body. See, just like our physical bodies, we can become so familiar with, with what's wrong that we fail to see the glory in it. But see, in describing the church as Jesus' body, the Apostle Paul is revealing a gospel mystery. He's revealing the mystery that the church isn't just some other organization. The church is a spiritual organism. It's alive. Just like our physical bodies, the church is a picture of unity and diversity. 
As one body, we have many members. We have many parts. And these members do not all have the same function. The church is vast in its diversity, both in its form and in its clockwork-like unity. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 6, Paul uh, describes this. He says, For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Notice that we all have different gifts, Paul says. Very specifically, we, we have, there's a diversity in our gifting. There is a tension held between the value of the collective, the whole, the body of Christ, and the significance of the individual, right? The, the, the body part. Both are necessary. Both are mandatory. There's no healthy body without healthy body parts. And like all bodies, the body of Christ is structured to do certain things, intentional things, specific things. These are things that no individual could do on their own. We, we can't do these things on our own. Small groups of people can't do everything in the church. The pastors and the elders cannot and should not be expected to do everything that the church is called to do. The many parts of the church, that's you and me. We must be healthy. We must work together. The church is both a body and its many members. And in this design as a body, God assigns a dignity, a significance to both the collective whole, the church, and the diverse individual parts, each one of us. However, because we are so diverse, it can be easy to start to question the necessity of every member, right? Particularly ourselves. It can be easy to, be, to start asking the question like, am I really necessary? I mean, what do I have to offer? Because we know ourselves. And sometimes it's unclear. Well, well what, what value could I, do I actually bring to the table? How, in what ways am I necessary? Paul speaks specifically to this in 1 Corinthians 12, 15. He says, Now if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, well, it would not be for that reason that it would stop to be a part of the body. Verse 17, he says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. Just think of the diversity of these body parts that Paul is comparing. An eye and an ear, they're, they're, they're completely different in their form and in their function. God has designed the body and he's given diversity and tremendous value, necessity for every part, every member. And so we can't trust our self-assessment when we're thinking we're not important. You are important. God has assigned to you a value. And we can't trust our assessment of others when we start thinking that others aren't important for the body of Christ. You are different. Yes, body parts are diverse. That's kind of the whole point of what Paul was saying. Also, you are necessary. Every part is needed. Our giftings are not only necessary and diverse, they're also, and this is our third point, we're connected. The gifts are connected. So how does this work? How can such diversity of gifts come together and function? Right? They're connected. 
We are connected, and we're connected by Jesus. Back to 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. Paul says that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Each one of us, Paul is saying, we perform a unique function in the church. We're all different. God gives each member of the body a gift, and he empowers that gift to exercise that gift. And Paul says, for the common good, for the good of the church. And each of these gifts, though empowered by the same Spirit, performs, Paul says, a different kind of service. They're intentionally diverse. Different members doing different things. We're not all alike. And this brings unity, he says. It's beautiful. Men, every one of you, men, listen to me. You are all different. You're diverse. You are necessary for the body of Christ. There are no men among us here today that are unnecessary in the body of Christ. Every one of you are necessary. Women, in the same way, you are vital, though vastly different from one another. You are necessary for the body of Christ. There's no woman here today that is unnecessary. Single people, single parents, grandparents, new Christians, teenagers, young adults, you are necessary. You're a vital part of the body of Christ. Each of you have an empowered gift to use. And your gifts are vital for the health and unity of the church. As Jesus connects us, as Jesus connects you, we experience this incredible diversity in this incredible unity in Christ through the multifaceted giftings that he has given his church. Remember, we are one body. But we're not just anybody. We are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of this body. Jesus is the brains of this operation, in other words. And just like the brain sends signals to the rest of the body, calling the body to action, so the Holy Spirit empowers us as the church to do the will of the head, the brain, to do the will of Jesus. Jesus directs the body. Um, I played trumpet in the junior high band in my public school. Now, I've been to the Philharmonic uh, Orchestra, and I, I love, uh, I actually love going and seeing the Philharmonic, but my junior high band experience was very different from a Philharmonic experience. <laughs> See, the Philharmonic is, is filled with different gifts, right? And those gifts, you can visually see those different gifts because people have different instruments and each instrument plays a different part. It, it almost seems chaotic, right? When they're warming up at the beginning and you hear all these different instruments. And then what happens? The conductor steps up. And man, that orchestra, all of those gifts, all of those passionate people that have given years and decades of their life to perfect those gifts that they have, they become one and the orchestra rises and it flows and it falls all at the movement of a baton. There is a conductor in the Philharmonic Orchestra. My junior high band was full of instruments, and my, my poor band teacher was the conductor. 
But we had our heads down and we were just trying to get through this thing and play our instruments and, and read this music, which was so mysterious, like another language, you know, we just without a thought of what, what that guy's waving around up there. But I got I to gotta get through this right here. It's a tremendous lack of unity in the junior high band. In the same way, we should think of the challenge, just think of this challenge of the different giftings in the church trying to work together. Because different giftings could mean that each of us have different priorities because we all have different passions. This might lead to disunity in the church. And unfortunately, there, there is a, a tendency for giftings to separate people. So it requires tremendous humility and great faith for us to navigate this idea that all the gifts are necessary and all the gifts are diverse. Now, some of you feel a sense of urgency to care for the vulnerable. You can't drive through Ventura without seeing the vulnerable people like right out in front of you. And many of us know other bro broken people, at-risk people, and some of you just have that passion. And man, I, I'm, why isn't the entire body of Christ focused on the broken here in the city of Ventura. Others of you are activated and have this gift and this desire to see the, the evil of abortion addressed and, and, and dealt with. And why isn't the church rising up? Why aren't there more of us with a louder voice? Some of you have the fire of evangelism in you. Why aren't more of us going downtown and out in the open just proclaiming the truth of Jesus and hoping that that truth will fall on to some fertile soil? Others of you are working hard to, to connect other Christians in community. There's just such a lack of community. The church feels so disconnected, and you're passionate about bringing that connection into the body of Christ. Others here among us have an urgency to pray and give themselves to intercession and, and their prophetic gifts and the prayer ministry here. Now, I'm sure I'm missing many, many other giftings and many, many other passions that are represented out here in, by the members of the church today. The point is that each of us has an empowered gifting that is necessary for the church to be the body that God has designed it to be. So each of us must function individually in a way that mimics the unified systems of a body. This requires tremendous humility and faith for the church to navigate. Because all of these different passions and activities and priorities and the many more that I didn't, that I didn't list here, they're all necessary to the body of Christ. It can't be all about your thing. It can't just be about one passion. Whatever calling we have and whatever role we have, whatever gifts we have, we should carefully exercise them. Not pridefully, but carefully. We should assume that others may not feel our level of urgency for doing what we are called to do. God has put that fire in you. God has given that gift to you, Christian. And some of our roles might be out in front of people. Some of you guys function behind the scenes. Others are called to challenge and charge other Christians. Some of you guys are called to just the, the ministry of mercy and hospitality. Some of you are working with new believers. Some of you are charged with the gift of evangelism. Well, how can we all serve and lead in these essential diverse giftings and remain connected? How is that possible? How is the early church able to do this? How can we pull this off? Listen, Reality Ventura, we cannot pull this off. I think that's historically part of the problem with the church is that we've tried to pull this off. 
That's what Jesus does. Jesus pulls this off. What would it look like if Jesus really was the king of Ventura County? What would the church look like if Jesus really was the king of the church? If Jesus was the king of every Christian that attended the church? It means that each one of us would be serving here and in the communities. Every corner, every demographic of Ventura County would be reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the diversity of the gifts that we have. Jesus brings connectedness, empowered connectedness through his giftings by the power of his spirit, and he sends us to go. That is what Jesus does. Only Jesus can save us from our selfish tendencies, to be all about that thing that we're so into. Only Jesus can save us from that. Only Jesus can take our diverse gifts and our diverse passions and our diverse, just the the things that God puts on our hearts that we can't sleep until we see done. Only Jesus can deploy these things in a way that brings unity and connectedness in the church and not dividedness. The body of Christ is diverse. It is unified. It is varied. It is complex, as varied as each member's are different. Christian, your calling, your gifting, as different as it may be, as, as unique as you might feel like, man, there's just no one here with that thing. I feel weird that God's given me this thing. Listen, that thing is necessary. You are necessary. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Just as the early church deployed a variety of gifts to further the mission, and they continued to grow and glorify Jesus, so too should we step up, each one of us stepping up to serve a function to serve in an empowered way with empowered gifts that each of us have been given by God. Reality Ventura needs every one of us to step into our role and participate in the life of the body. Each one of us has been given a gift. None of these gifts are the same. They're all different. In each of these gifts, every one of us is necessary for the body of Christ to function in a healthy way. You have a role in the church and in the community. You've been given a gift. You've been given tremendous power. The same power, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you to complete the good work that God has begun in you to see it come to fulfillment through you. That is what the church would look like if Jesus were ruling and reigning over the hearts of every member. We would function in a healthy way. None of us are a Swiss army knife, so to speak. None of us are supposed to do it all. None of us could do it all. And you you hear these horror stories of of these church leaders that are crushed under the the expectations and under the ministry load of, of, of being expected to function as a Swiss army knife. It's necessary for the body to have diverse parts. And each of our diverse gifts are connected. We work together just like an orchestra. But who could possibly conduct this wild orchestra? Who would want to conduct this wild orchestra? It's crazier here than my junior high band sometimes, right? So many different people, so many different personalities, so many different passions, so many different priorities represented by these diverse people with so many strong opinions and perspectives represented here. Each one of us with these necessary gifts 
these different gifts. Who can bring order to such a chaotic idea? King Jesus, that's who. Jesus is the prince of peace. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings unity. When King Jesus is ruling as head of the body, each of our diverse giftings are connected in Jesus. One of the signs of God's kingdom here is that the diversity and the differences of people are unified in Christ. Each of us are essential because of Jesus. We are diverse because that's how he made us. Church, and we are connected because Jesus is the head of the body. Brothers and sisters, consider the call of Christ to step into, to step up into what he is calling you to as a part of his body. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this picture we see of your wisdom displayed through the early church. Lord, we do long for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, to see every household, to see my neighbors worship Jesus. Pray, God, that that work would start here in the church. Help us, God, this morning to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us, Lord, to see the purpose and the calling and the gifts Lord, light a fire in us for your glory. Holy Spirit, em empower these things that you've called us to. Lord, give us the courage to stand up and step into these things. And God, give us the humility to honor and serve others as we do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus wants to bring his peace to Ventura County by activating each one of us. But listen, before he asks you to share any gift that you have, before he asks you to share any passion or talent that you might already possess, Jesus wants to give you a gift. Before you can serve with an empowered gift, you must receive a gift from Jesus. And the gift that Jesus offers you today is the love of God. Jesus offers you the gift of forgiveness. Jesus offers you wholeness and joy. God loves you so much that he sent his son to come and save you from the brokenness and the compulsiveness of sin. Jesus literally stood in our place as an innocent man and paid the penalty for your sin. You might feel like sin has a stranglehold in your life or brokenness has the upper hand. You might be so lost in addiction today and you're wondering, how can this thing in my life stop? Listen, Jesus is offering you the gift of salvation today. Turn to Jesus. He can set you free from addiction. Jesus can set you free from the compulsiveness and the brokenness of sin. Jesus is the one that can break the cycle, the generational cycle of brokenness in sin. And that is a free gift that he's offering to you today. Jesus is able to connect you to the love of the Father. He's able to connect you to the wholeness of creation that he has created you to be in Christ. Jesus is able to break chains of abuse Jesus is able to break compulsive anger and every other thing that separates us from the love of God. 
Today, Jesus will fill you with the Holy Spirit who never leaves you and always empowers you. King Jesus is on the move and he's pursuing you, offering you this free gift of love and salvation. And this gift will change you and bless you and empower you and bring you peace. If you've not received this gift of love and salvation from Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray with me now. Just, just in a simple deal, you don't need to make a big deal out of it. Just pray with me. Say, God, I recognize that I am broken and I am lost. I recognize, Lord, that though I, I have many things, I feel empty. I feel disconnected from the value and the purpose and the giftings. I put my faith and my trust and my hope in you. God, please save me from this brokenness. And then now as an act of faith, just receive Jesus. Say, Jesus, come and be my savior. Jesus, come and complete those disconnected places in my heart. God, forgive me of my sin. I recognize, Lord, that I've I've been down a path that I shouldn't have been down. God, forgive me. And in a second, the Bible promises immediate, complete forgiveness. We pray all of this, Lord, because we're in desperate need of you. Today is the day of salvation. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, we have men and women at these tents at the end that would love to pray with you and encourage you. They would also love to give you a Bible or a book, just some resources to get you started on your journey. Or if you've taken a few steps in the past, but you've not been walking with Jesus, they would love to give you a book or, or, or a Bible to help you along that process. This morning, church, let's turn to Jesus. Let's fix our eyes upon him and let's worship him together.